In the spring of 1959 at the Columbia Studios in Manhattan, Miles Davis, the jazz trumpeter, entered the studio to record a new album for Columbia Records. The musicians that were gathered there to work with Miles were a who's who of jazz greats that would later become known for their own genius. But when you watch a documentary about that recording session, the musicians were taken aback when Miles Davis came into the studio and really had no music for them. What he had, they said, was just sketches, ideas, uh, a phrase, musical phrase that was written out in pencil. And he said, we're just gonna play. The album that came out of that session was called Kind of Blue, and it is one of the most important recordings in the history of music. And it's interesting because when you look at the cover of the album or the CD, it says something that is common, was commonly printed on albums of that day. Guaranteed, it said under the Columbia logo, guaranteed high fidelity. And when you listen to Kind of Blue, what that high fidelity means is true to sound. It comes from the same root word, Latin root word, that we get uh, faithful from. Fidelity, faithfulness, fidelis. And it means to be true to sound. So when you listen to the album, it is true to what you would have heard if you were in that room. And when I put on that album and I listen to it, I, I, my whole life I have loved this album. Why? Because it's like I am there in the room and I am listening to a group of musicians who are creating music, improvising it in the moment. It just happened. It was an act of creation. And when you listen to it, it's hard to believe that they didn't have any music. And when you listen in high fidelity, it's true to sound. I can just, I can listen and I can hear creation happening in the moment. I love it. Today we're in our series on the fruit of the spirit and we're talking about the fruit of faithfulness. And I would like us to think about faithfulness maybe a little bit differently than we ever have before. As a teaching team, we've been talking a lot about resonance. So resonance is when something is a, a, a frequency of sound hits another frequency of sound that's the same, they resonate. So that's why when an opera singer holds a glass and she sings really high and she holds that note, if she can get to the right frequency, 
that that glass is, the glass shatters. Why? Because it begins to vibrate at the same, that's resonating with the frequency of her voice. So there is resonance when, when it's the same frequency. And as a teaching team, we've been talking about resonance because sometimes a teacher gets up and you're sitting there in the, the chair, right? And there is a resonance of spirit. And you listen to that person teach or whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking through that person, it begins to resonate with your heart and your spirit. And it may be not the next week. And something we talk about as teachers is that, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about a teaching team is that you probably resonate with some teachers more than others. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's just natural. We tend to resonate, we're maybe on the same frequency. There's also dissonance when, when the, the sound is not true to sound, when it's askew, and you just feel that there's something that's not right. So I want us to think today about the idea of faithfulness as being true to sound with three things. True to sound with who Jesus is. True to sound with myself. And true to sound with my understanding and knowledge of others. Because if we're going to be faithful, we have to, we have to resonate in all three of those areas with my relationship with Christ, my relationship with myself, and my relationship with others. So let's unpack this a little bit. And I'm gonna take a verse out of 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter two. And in this letter to Timothy, Paul is quoting uh, what we believe was an ancient poem or an ancient hymn that the first century believers really uh, loved. And it says in verse 13, if we are faithless, he, Christ, will remain faithful because, it says, he cannot disown himself. We read that again. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. God is faithfulness incarnate in the same way that he is love incarnate. So Christ is faithful. And as we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, as we become more like Christ, we are going to become more like love and we are going to become more faithful because he is faithful. But if it's gonna work, if we're gonna resonate in that way, then I have to understand exactly who Christ is. You know, it, as a pastor, I, my own journey, I went into pastoral ministry for five years, and then I left pastoral ministry and been in business ever since. And one of the things that I found in pastoral ministry um, was that I was having a hard time 
being true to sound with who I knew Christ to be, the Christ that I knew and was getting to know, and the one that the institutional church wanted me sometimes to preach. There was a dissonance. And one of the things that happens is that it's very easy for us if we don't have a true to sound knowledge of who Jesus is, then everything is gonna be dissonant. Jesus told two parables, and we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up today by reading these parables in detail. But one parable is the, a guy, a boss, employer, going on a journey. So he has three servants, and he gives this, each servant some bags of gold. Gives one servant five, one servant two, one servant one. He goes on a trip, gone for a long, long time, comes back, and he calls in his servants to settle his accounts. And the one who had five said, hey, I went out, invested, I, with all the interest, put it to work, made ten, five more, here you go, here's your 10 bags of gold. Great, awesome. The person had two said, hey, I went out, put your money to work, uh, your two bags is now four, here you go. And he said, great, wonderful, thank you. Come in and share with me the, the blessings of the abundance. And then he gets to the guy with one and he says, what happened? he said, you know what, I, I knew you to be a hard man. And so um, I was kind of scared, and I went out and I hid the gold in the ground. And so here it is. And in Jesus' story, the boss says, if you really knew me, if you really understood me, you would have known what you should have done with that bag of gold. But because you didn't, you don't know me. There was a dissonance. The man he thought he was, what he thought his master expected, two different things. So he said, because you didn't really, you don't really know me, you would have known that this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna take that bag, I'm gonna give it to the guy with 10 and you're getting out of my house and you're never working for me again. If you really knew me. In the next parable, Jesus talks, gathers everybody together and separates the sheep and the goats. And he goes to the sheep and he said, hey, you know, come in to your reward. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. So come on, thank him. He goes to the goat and says, you know what? You never, you, know, you never clothed me. You never fed me when I was hungry. You never gave me water when I needed something to drink. And they said, well, wait a minute. When, when did we see you? He said, no, no, you don't get it. If you really knew me, you would know that when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. But you really don't know me. So depart from me. And what Jesus is getting at in both of those parables is that we understand 
who he is. We know him. What has Kevin been talking about? What are we attached to? And one of the things that I struggled with is I felt like the church that, uh, that when I was serving early on, the church oftentimes had this image of Jesus that was angry and mean and condemning. When the Jesus that I was reading about said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to love it. I came to save it. And there was a dissonance. So I have to understand, have this true to sound image of who Jesus really is. And that comes through walking with him, getting to know him, reading scripture, reading the stories for yourself, meditating on them, talking about them, breaking them down, thinking them through, reading about who this person was. But I also have to be true. I have to be true to who I am. Now, I've come to realize that in my own spiritual journey, in my own life journey, that there's like different versions of me. There's the me that I was created to be, right? Beautifully, wonderfully made. God knew me. God created me to be Tom. And with all my temperament and my spirit, and my passions and my loves and my gifts and my ability, all those things, I, I, was, I was created to be who I am. Then there's the Tom who was formed. So that's nature. Then nurture. There's the, the me that was formed through all of the systems that I was raised in. My family system, my educational system, my community system, my religious system. That formed me along with my sinfulness. <laughs> and so I've got this me that has been formed. And then there's the me that Christ is creating me as a new creation to be, which is true to sound with the one he created me to be. And so what happens oftentimes is as you, you get into this person that you were formed to be, you really lose sight of who God created you to be. You don't really know. It's not true to sound. Your, your image of yourself, your knowledge of yourself is not true to sound. And so there's dissonance as I try to relate with Christ. Let's give you an example. So Peter, Clayton talked about this story a couple weeks ago. When Peter, the night before Jesus betrayed, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be arrested and thrown, and you're all going to leave me. And Peter says, if everybody else leaves you, Lord, I will remain faithful. I will not deny you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you don't know yourself, but I know you. And here's what I know about you. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. See, Peter's image of himself in that moment was not true to sound. 
And I love that Luke in the 26th chapter of Luke, he, uh, 22nd chapter, verse 61, it, the, the Bible records that as Peter is standing outside the high priest's house and he gets to his third denial, it's at the very moment they are moving Jesus from the high priest's house to the Roman jail where he's gonna be tried by Pilate. So they're pulling him out and as Peter says, no, I never knew him, the rooster crows and Luke records that Jesus looked right at Peter. He looked him in the eye at that moment. Can you imagine that? What have I done? That was a, that was a tuning moment for Peter of understanding who he was and who he was formed to be and how out of tune it was with the person he thought he was. Which is why it's so beautiful then in John 21 that Clayton took us through where on the, on the seashore, Peter jumps in the water and he swims to, to Jesus. And Jesus comes out and three times, you had three denials, three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, all right, then feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, you know what? You denied me, but now he's going to restore. But Peter, let me, this whole time, Peter, listen to me. I know you. I created you. And I am, I am helping you get to the person that you were created to be. And guess what? What that means is someday you are going to be led where you don't want to go. And you are going to give your life for me. Not only are you not going to deny me, you are going to sacrifice your life for me. And Peter, in that moment, said, this is, this is you, Peter. You're going to become the rock on which I build my church. You're not there right now, but you're, you're on your way. <laughs> so I need to understand myself. And that was part of the dissonance when I was in pastoral ministry. Because one of the things that I learned as a young man I felt this pressure to be who the church wanted me to be. Now, have you noticed anything about what I'm wearing today? You know what? The first time I saw Union Jack Doc Martin boots, I think was the Spice Girls. Some of you young people don't even know who that is. You can Google it. And I remember seeing those Union Jack Doc Martin boots, and something in my spirit went, oh, I want a pair of those. There was something that resonated with my spirit. And for 20-some years, I would be on Pinterest and going over, and there would be the Doc Martin Union Jack boots, and I'd go, oh, I'm liking that. That's going on my board. And whenever I would see it in a calendar, I'd see it online, and oh man, I've got, oh, that resonates with me. Now here's the thing, anybody that knows me knows that I, I'm kind of quirky. It's me. I, I wanna preach in my Doc Martin Union Jack boots. I think it's cool. And the reality is I've learned that for a lot of people, that's just like, all right, you're kind of weird. 
Yar. I just, uh, yesterday, Vicky came in, wished me my happy 20,000th. I had, yesterday, I was 20,000 days old. My 20,000th birthday. You can, you can listen to the podcast, and I'll explain the whole story. But, I, you know, we were out with friends on Friday night, and, and I said, hey, here's a toast. And so, what's the toast? I said, toast to my 20,000th birthday. And my friend looked at me, and he said, Vanderwell, only you. Only you are, are weird enough to know how many days you've been alive. Guess what? That's who God created me to be. I'm just kind of quirky. I'm kind of weird. I'm kind of I'm out there. I want to preach in my Union Jack boots. But I was told early on when I was in pastoral ministry that this is the person we expect you to be. And one of the things that began happening over those five years in pastoral ministry is I, I began to become not who I knew I was, but who somebody else wanted me to be and wanted to form me to be, and it wasn't working. Not only was the Jesus I reading about in scripture not the one that, that I felt like the church wanted me to convey, and not, I wasn't, the, the person I was becoming wasn't the person that I, there was something wrong. It wasn't true to sound. And so God led me out of pastoral ministry, and, I, and guess what? It's taken 20-some years for me to have the opportunity to stand before you in Union Jack boots and for it to be cool and for it to be okay. Folks, this is who I am. And this is who God created to me, kind of quirky and kind of weird, but hopefully somewhere as I communicate God's word, I hope that the authentic Tom, the person that I am, can resonate with the person that I know Jesus to be. And I hope that that frequency resonates with you. See, we gotta know who we are. I just was, this last week, I had uh, working with a client and they had me uh, work with all of their frontline supervisors. So we had them take the Enneagram test and then I did one-on-one -on -one coaching and the, and the idea was that over time I was gonna help each one of them with their leadership development. And I was reporting to the senior management team this week and they said, I said, who do you wanna talk about first? And they told me the name of who they wanted me to talk about, and I immediately know, oh yeah, I know why you want me to talk about this person. Why? Because there's a problem. And what's the problem? I said, here's the, here's the thing. This person doesn't know who they are. They typed themselves on their Enneagram test the way they perceive, he, the way they perceive themselves to be. And when I said, so tell me about yourself, I heard a version of who this person was that was completely dissonant from everything else that person said to me over the hours that I spent with them. And I just went, and here's why there's dissonance in the business and with this person's team and with the management team. Because he doesn't know himself. And because he has a misperception of himself, there's dissonance with everybody that he works with. 
But it's not just understanding myself, it's also understanding the other. Because if there's a misperception of the other in a relationship, how do I be faithful to that? See, Jesus, Jesus knew Peter. Peter just didn't know himself very well. And he still had things to learn about Jesus, even after walking with him for three years. By the way, take encouragement in that. Even the guys that walked in his footsteps and watched the miracles and saw him transfigured still didn't really know Jesus after three years. So if you feel like, hey, I've been a, you know, a follower of Jesus for 20 years and I still feel like I'm not sure that my, I have a true to sound picture of him, join the club, okay? We're all on that journey together. Okay, so grace, have some grace with yourself. But when I relate with other people, because that's the fruit of the spirit, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others as yourself. So if we're gonna love others as ourselves, number one, we need to know ourselves, but if we're gonna love others as ourselves, I also have to have a clear understanding of who the person that I'm loving is and a true to sound picture of them. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life right now do you have dissonance with in your relationship? I want you to picture that person. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, do I have a true to sound understanding of who that person is? of what motivates them, of what they want in life, of what they really care about. Because if I'm going to love them well and I'm going to love them faithfully, I have to, I have to get to know the true to sound person that I'm loving. You know, one of the things about marriage is to get two people who may or may not understand themselves and may or may not understand the other. And isn't marriage just a journey of getting to know one another and appreciating one another? So on the Enneagram test, I'm a four with all my quirkiness, right? And Wendy is an eight, and an eight is the... Uh, you know, the challenger. And when you read the Enneagram Institute description of fours and eights, they say when fours and eights are in relationship, it's the most volatile combination of Enneagram types that there is. The most volatile. But it's also the most powerfully creative when it's healthy. And one of the things that happens, because I mean, Wendy and I have a great relationship. We've learned a lot about each other and ourselves, but there are still times. I mean, there are, there are times when then Wendy's challenger meets my brooding, pessimistic individualist and sparks fly. And it took me time to understand and love Wendy and understand that for an eight, a challenger, when pressure hits, they're like, they're like that, that steam valve. It says, boo, the, the steam has to let go. 
And it's gonna blow for a couple minutes, but then it's over. It's out, the pressure's gone. And when we were, we were doing a project with a bunch of friends, construction project, so we uh, were working together, and I remember some people that hadn't been around Wendy very much, uh, you know, in, when you're on a, a project, right, and things aren't going right, her emotional steam valve would go off. And I had people come up to me, is Wendy okay? Yeah. It is, cause she, are, I'm like, dude, it's, everything's okay. Why? They didn't understand her. And one of the things that I've really learned about Wendy over time is that while a, a, an eight is a challenger and is willing to stand up and challenge the status quo, an eight comes from a motivation of wanting everything to be right for everybody. So they are the champion of the small person. They are the champion of the, uh, those who are victimized. They are the champion. And they're going to stand up and challenge the system for the sake of everybody so that everything will be good. But what happens is people don't see past the steam valve to understand what it's actually accomplishing in the big picture. Now, it's taken me 15 years to learn a lot about that with Wendy. And we've had some volatile moments <laughs> in between there. But the more I understand her, the more she understands that it, she didn't even say one thing this morning when I put on my Union Jack boots. Not one. Till we got to church and Alan goes, hey, nice boots, Tom. It's like, yeah. There's an appreciation, there's a knowledge, there is a resonance with who we are, both individually and together. That's how I can be faithful. Because I can be faithful when things aren't necessarily right in the moment. I can be faithful because I know who God created her to be. And I know her heart, and I know her spirit, and I love her. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to read. Would you close your eyes for me just a minute? Just close your eyes, and I want you to listen as I read Jesus' parables. And then we're just gonna sit in silence for a couple of minutes. And I just want you to ask Holy Spirit, just quietly in your heart, just say, God, open the eyes of my heart to see myself, to see you, and to see those around me in a true to sound way. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted the wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've got five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you entrust me with two bags. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag said, Master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you would have known to put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would at least have received interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to eat? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, needing clothes or sick or in prison, did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, help me to see you as you are. Help me to see myself as the person you created me to be, the person that you are creating me to be for all eternity. Help me to see others as you see them with a true sound picture 
of who you created them to be, who you are creating them to be. And help me to love others around me the way you do. Loving them for who they're becoming, not necessarily who they are as they've been formed in this moment. Help us to be people who love like you. Help us to be people who are faithful in our love for you, ourselves, and others. In your name.